Welcome to 353rd, a bi-weekly podcast discussing the impact of the internet on business. Today is Monday, December 30th, 2013. This is episode number 65, and I am Anders Brownworth. And I'm Scott Barstow. Scott, how are you? It's been a I'm while. I'm doing very well. It's been too long. <laughs> too long, absolutely. We, uh, we have uh, uh, failed to make a show in, in uh, a number of weeks, which is not a good thing. Uh, not something we intend to uh, repeat. However, talking about repeating, 2013, the year in review, we are getting to that point where it seems everybody talks about the the, the greatest things that happened in the past year. But we have a, a 353rd bent to our lists, and here's what we've done. So I've come up with three things which I uh, I think have have you know really defined this past. 2013. Uh, and Scott has as well, and we have not discussed this yet. So this will be essentially a, uh, you know, a surprise to the both of us. So it's more free form than usual, which is saying something. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. Uh, so, so who's going first? Is it me? Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you lead off with your, with your first one? Okay. So my first one, perhaps unsurprisingly, and maybe you could pretty much guess this. Uh, but I'm going to say uh, Bitcoin uh, is going mainstream in 2013. And that is a very huge thing. It is. Yeah, there's no doubt that I think this story, and we, you and I are both fans of, of the Foundation podcast with Kevin Rose. <coughs> yeah. And he, he interviewed the, uh, the guy from Coinbase for his last, uh, for his last show of 2013. And the the thing that jumped out at me from that particular uh, podcast is basically what he's saying is that they've got in the works uh, major retailers ready to adopt or ready to start accepting Bitcoin in 2014. He didn't say who. Yeah. And I think, but it doesn't really matter who it is. So whether it's Walmart or Target or it won't really matter who it is. All that matters is that somebody's going to do it. A major retailer is going to accept it, and I yeah. think that's when the whole—that's when—that's the tipping point. Yeah, I, I, and so I think what happened in 2013 was that you, it went from this obscure, uh, you know, thing that nobody really paid attention to. You know, the price of a Bitcoin when we started the year was what, probably under a hundred bucks. Yeah, I'm guessing. And it went as high as twelve hundred, and now is back in the seven hundreds, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really kind of wild year for the for Bitcoin as kind of this currency, this new currency, and uh, it's just a, it was really fun to watch everybody start talking about Bitcoin, uh, particularly when you know you've been talking about this for a number of years, and you and I did a show on it not not all that long ago when and everybody i think all of our listeners kind of said what the heck is bitcoin and why are you guys even talking about it it's irrelevant well it turns out it's not yeah actually bitcoin back in the day uh was in the 20 dollar range uh just this year uh which That's is remarkable yeah which is pretty pretty uh pretty crazy if you think about it that um, is remarkable yeah uh, you had that. You had this. You know what was crazy this year is. You know we both bought uh, miners this year. Yeah, and it took forever to get them, and you just had the sense that uh, it was starting to get crazy. Yeah, and so <clears throat> what will be interesting is to see how it levels out. 
you know, once it becomes kind of this accepted currency, there'll be some new, it'll have to kind of stabilize a little bit uh, because otherwise, uh, you know, it's going to be, I think it's for people to start using it, for mainstream, for average users to start using it, I think it will have to <laughs> become a bit more stabilized. But it's just been a wild ride. 2013 yeah. has just been crazy. And, you know, by when we bought those, uh, the, the miners from Butterfly Labs, we thought, man, we're going to be, we're going to be way ahead. And by the time we actually got them, we were yeah. way behind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Difficulty had been, has been going through the roof. It, uh, just, what a week ago, uh, went over a billion for the first time, which is things like 1.2 billion or something at this point. Yeah. Which yeah. is, is crazy, crazy. I mean, to the point where if you buy a several hundred dollar miner, you, you can't really, I mean, you know, a, a miner of about a year old for several hundred bucks, you're, you're not even going to see your money back. Um, which is, uh, which is in- incredible com- considering that those miners are a good order of magnitude faster than the ones last year. Yeah. So where um, do you, I mean, you're deep in the throes of this. So we had a wild, crazy ride in 2013. What do yeah. you think is going to happen in 2014? Well, I think you're right about the, uh, the uh, announcement of some other adoption. I mean, uh, there were some news stories about a number of subway outlets that were accepting Bitcoin and there are some other news, uh, you know, here, there, and everywhere about, like, for example, Overstock.com uh, accepting Bitcoin in 2014. So I, I think that sort of thing will happen. I don't. Big. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's not. It's not a good currency to go buy things because you might as well just sit on it because you know the 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 appreciation is just gonna. Mean that you paid, uh, you know, ten thousand bitcoins for a pizza. Yeah, that's you know, right. Like back in the day, so it just doesn't. I thought seem that was an sense. interesting point by the by the Coinbase guy about that because uh, Kevin Rose asked him that question. You know, well, aren't you better off just sitting on it? And yeah. He said, "Well, yes, just for the most part." But then, you know, you, even if you go out, even if you say, "I'm going to spend five percent of my bitcoin," yeah, uh, <clears throat> as walking around money, for lack of a better word. Uh, that's, he said, that's kind of how I'm looking at it is right now, while it's still wildly speculative and the price is going up, you know, you still want to hold on to the majority of it, but there's, you know, you're going to also want to monetize some of it. Yeah. And you know, the, the other thing I would say is international remittance. Yep. I think that's the big one. Yeah. Companies that, that, uh, use Bitcoin as a transfer of value across, uh, international borders, are, uh, you know, hugely in an advantage over the incumbents that, yeah. that do well, the Well, just think about the, the process of doing a wire transfer right now yeah. and all that that brings with it. So you have not only just the aggravation of having I mean, go to a bank, uh, fill out the paperwork, pay the fee, like all of those things, but then you have just the fact that somebody, you know, governments are paying attention to money that you're sending Governments on both sides are monitoring all wires going into and out of countries. <laughs> so you've got kind of this oversight. And even if you're not doing something illegal, you still have, you're still, I'm sure, you know, there's, if you're sending money to some country that, uh, where there's issues, even if it's 100% on the up and up, you still have, I'm sure, you're, I'm sure you're still winding up on some list. 
And I just think that it's a much more efficient way to send money. All I do is give somebody, you know, an address and they've got the money. You yeah. know, it's just dead simple. Yeah, very simple, very fast. Uh, it just has a lot of uh, a lot of importances yeah. over over the the you know gold and other analogs that that you might see. So so I think there is a um, you know in in transactions that would otherwise for, for example to use Western Union uh, it, you, sometimes your thirty percent of the value you're trying That's to right. transfer is yeah. is eaten up in fees and and. With Bitcoin, uh, that can be you know five percent or less very easily. So that's a uh, I think Bitcoin stands to revolutionize that industry. And if you're not on board with, if you're in the international remittance industry and you are not considering Bitcoin uh, or some other virtual currency uh, or cryptocurrency, I should say. You're you're gonna be run over by by them. It's just uh, yeah, I think that's you know, right. Yeah, so I think that's that's how the that'll be the first wave crashing across the beach. But um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, uh, it's Bitcoin is still in its infancy. I think there's a lot of innovation that's going to happen in this area. Um, things that will totally rewrite the the industry. We'll 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 see though. So so I yeah. think maybe that one's looking forward as well, but certainly Bitcoin becoming uh mainstream is is the sort of the thing for 2013 in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so So I had a so my first one uh is I've got I, I've got two that I think are really interesting, but I'm going to throw this one out because it's enough different from Bitcoin and that is I think uh, one of the huge stories of 2013 was uh, the firing slash removal of Steve Ballmer as CEO of Microsoft. <laughs> Interesting, you lead with firing. Yeah, that's right. He, because <laughs> everybody, everybody's down. saying, yeah, everybody's saying he's stepping down, and, and I, I tend to, I mean. The the word firing tends to make more sense to me because I'm not looking at that and saying, like, wh who steps down without naming a successor? That's right. Who, that's the thing that stinks about it to me. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing that makes it stink is that if you're in that position and uh, the first thing you start doing is working on, well, who's going to take my place? Yeah. And you have that guy ready to go before you make the announcement, or at least you're down to a couple. Mm-hmm. And the I just think the the languishing of Microsoft as a company, while I'm sure not all of it rests directly at his feet, I think a lot of it does. Yeah. And I think at some point the board had just had enough. Is all I can figure. Yeah. I I, I yeah. Mm -hmm. And let's not. I mean, let's not weep for Steve Ballmer. He's a very wealthy man. And he's going to go do whatever he wants to do. Sure. And. Uh, I just think he was the wrong guy at the wrong time. And, you know, as a result, Microsoft's been made irrelevant, at least to date, in the mobile space, which is, and the tablet space. Everything they've tried has been an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> and so I think well, it'll be, I think looking, so that was, that was my, that was one of my big, my, one of my top three for, for 2013. Yeah. I, so I I think he's he like he gets a little bit of a bad rap. I think I do feel sorry for him because he was kind of in an impossible position to some in some respect, and who could have uh, you know uh, done well there? Well, 
the last guy to do well there would be a salesman. And so the blame really for that should be on uh, Bill Gates's feet. But yeah, I don't. I have to wonder if it was personal loyalty. That got got to be. It's got that be. made them make that choice because yeah. you've got other guys who, in that company, who were technology technology visionaries. Uh, whether it was Ray Ozzy or somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they weren't the right guy for a CEO, but gosh. Yeah, it's a they, shame. they needed to be the. They needed to be treated like a Johnny Ive, somebody yeah, who that's right, who was who a visionary leader. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a, it is sad. I agree. But you know what? Uh, Microsoft, like they did with the Xbox. Remember, the Xbox was a billion-dollar boondoggle for a long time until, you know, and they just kept at it and kept at it and kept at yeah. it. And I'm guaranteeing you they're going to do the same thing with Windows Phone. They're I just going to so. keep at it, right. keep at it right. At yeah. some point, that's going to really emerge as as a very strong contender and possibly yeah. trounce one or both of the uh, now incumbents. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. They've got enough money to just keep to outlast anyone. Yeah, yeah except right. for Apple, you know. Yeah. yeah, and they they I think with the right uh what I think what Steve Jobs showing back up at Apple demonstrated is that what it takes is the right people at the top. Yeah. Uh, to turn and you can turn, you know, and Apple was at the brink of extinction and look where they are now. Yeah. And Microsoft is nowhere near that. Right. Uh, they're in much better shape. They're sure. just slow and kind of stodgy and old, but that can all be fixed. Well, you know, and, it, it, yes and no. So they're stodgy and old and slow looking, but you know what? In the consumer space, that's the way they look. But in the uh, enterprise space, not really so much. They They have a thriving enterprise business and they do a lot of you know, stuff that the public doesn't tend to see. So I think their reputation is, uh, you know, really seen in the consumer light. And, and there it's, it's not doing as well as it actually is. Yeah, I think um, that's, that's true to some extent. But I also think they're still heavily, if you look at their revenue, uh, you know, their revenue model, they're still heavily reliant on, you know, office and all these des- desktop licenses. And it's just, it's hard for me to imagine that that stuff's all going to persist. And we already know that the, the desktop as a kind of primary mode of computing is going away. Uh, I mean, at least for, for those who are not heavy, heavy desktop users, I think we're going to see the, and everything's showing that the PC is kind of on its way out. Um, so I think, but you're absolutely right that they're not they're irrelevant right now in consumer in kind of the consumer mobile space. They're not irrelevant yet in anywhere else, and and they just have this amazing cash cash machine that just keeps printing money. Yeah. And so the the that's the thing that uh, you know somebody once said to me when I was really young. They said a business can survive anything except running out of money, and they just don't have that problem. Yeah. And so I think with the right replacement for Bomber, and we don't know who it is yet. I don't think they know who it is yet. Yeah. With the right guy at the helm, I think it's lookout. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see how that, how that probably is the case. Um, I, I look at, uh, you know, maybe IBM as an analog because this is a company that was heavily into the uh, 
consumer space back in the days when the IBM PC yeah. was the was the personal computer. Uh, they exited, uh, and I mean, even to this point of selling off Lenovo and everything else, they completely exited and turned themselves into a services business and are just monsters. They're huge. I mean, maybe yeah. you, you can blame that on a flight up market in a sense. And, and, you know, maybe it is exiting the consumer space, but, um, you know, that, that's, that's sort of what I see Microsoft doing. Cause I don't see them competitive on the desktop ever anymore. Um, and I don't, I, if they are competitive in, uh, the phone and, uh, you know, tablet space, it's going to be a long time. Yeah. So it's not going to be a commanding position for, for quite a while. So I could see them resting back on services and, and other sort of business things, maybe not as traditional Microsoft businesses even. Yeah, um, I think that's while. right. Yeah, we'll All see. All right, so what's, uh, what's your second one? Number two. So now this one has a lot more to do with where I am than, uh, than others. And number two on my list of uh, major events in 2013 was the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, this is something that, I mean, it, it literally happened right outside my door. Uh, everything from the bombing that went on, my wife and I were there. Um, we we're about 100 and 150 feet or something like that from where the second bomb uh, exploded though we had left uh, before it did, um, but everything from that to the subsequent chase and lockdown and shootout and now uh, court battle uh, going on from from that whole scenario it it is eerily reminded me of uh, being in New York um, around nine eleven and how it always seems to be like really near, but not, you know, not right in the middle of it, mm. uh, which I'm very thankful for. But, you know, it, it is, it is kind of, you know, it, it's a, it's a big, it's a big event, certainly a huge event in, in Boston. Next year's uh, marathon is going to be, I mean, it's going to be crazy. We're going to go as we normally do. Um, as we have for many years, but this year or next year's is going to be, you know, quite a different event. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure it will be a, it will be a, I'm sure it will be a more, a very somber event. Yeah. And then obviously there'll be increased security. It's funny that you bring this up because I had, uh, really had not thought about the Boston marathon bombing at all. Yeah. And <clears throat> never even entered my the the thinking for this year which is weird i mean it was in april right yeah and so i think it's just far enough and because i'm not living there it's just far enough out of out of view that i just sort of lost sight of it yeah i think well, the it's it's the, out of the, view here too it's not i mean you know you don't think about it every day if you weren't directly impacted i don't think maybe you do um but but i haven't i mean yeah. uh, but looking back over the year, it is certainly, you know, a major, major event. Yeah. I think the, the thing that I, when I think about the Boston Marathon and the, and the impact and the reaction, the thing that was most striking to me 
from afar was the really the sort of draconian lockdown of the city. Yeah. And everybody being told to get inside and, you know, and really, I think for me, that was just a little bit, not a little bit, it was more than a little bit scary um, to watch the, just the police um, sort of take over the city in such a short amount of time. Well, and put everybody, you know, inside. And if you're outside, you can be arrested. And and I get so there's two sides to this. One is this is the uh, the sort of keep everybody safe. We don't know who these people are or where they are. So there's that side of it, which I get. Um, but the other side of it is a, is more than a little bit concerning just from a if it can happen around that kind of event and it happens that quickly. What does that really mean for an event that maybe isn't quite so serious, but the same kind of measures can be taken? So I think there's a, there's a civil liberties component to the way that was handled that, for me, was a little bit disturbing. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can totally understand. But uh, on the other side, for, for us here, um, it wasn't an order to stay inside and you'll be arrested if you don't. As a matter of fact, a lot of people were walking around outside. We're very, I can't say a lot. A few people were walking around outside and it would have been fine. It, I wouldn't, I didn't feel like I couldn't. Um, I think what happened here was there was a, an essentially unanimous agreement that, you know, we wanted this to end and the best way to help it end was for us to get out of the streets. So we right. did, yeah. uh, it, you know, I, I know people were walking around and taking pictures of the, the city on a Friday afternoon with not a soul in the site. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty dramatic pictures. I mean, most, uh, businesses were shut down and everybody was basically hunkering in place. Um, but it was all, you know, just, if you if you uh would please stay inside is the way it was uh, phrased and we were all you know driving twitter and kind of watching it all go down um so i can't say it was compelling <laughs> especially the twitter uh yeah that was just thing. remarkable i think yeah. the i listened to an interview with uh or i read the uh, i read the book um how twitter was hatched or hatching twitter this yeah. year right and i think it came out right after their ipo and what was interesting about that in light of what you what you just said is the debate inside Twitter in the last few years has been are we a are we a public status service or are we a news service mm -hmm. and i think what you saw in certainly with the arab spring and all of the major events that have happened in the last 3 years and the boston marathon was a great example of this is that Twitter has become uh, the best and most reliable news source really on the planet. Hmm. Uh, and, it's, and it's because you just have this overwhelming access. And a lot of it's spurious and a lot of it's crap. Uh, and I realize that you know, and when you have an event like that, there's lots of misinformation and people posting wrong stuff. Yeah. But you also have just people that are right there talking about what's actually happening right now. Yeah. And that's just never happened before right and, and i think the thing that it does is it causes people to uh understand their sources and not just take everything as blanket truth but right. say okay this is one guy 
he's on the street, he's talking about whatever went down, and maybe he's right, but maybe he has a an axe to grind or a, right. or a certain you know whatever. You kind of you 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 look at Twitter not as a major like you don't look at Twitter as the New York Times. Everything they say has been fact checked in some way. Hopefully, um, you you look at it as sort of the the ramblings of uh, you yeah know, i think I, th- I think of twitter as really just raw yeah information and it's yeah. unfiltered for the most part and so it's your job to figure out how to interpret and how to give weight and who to give weight to yeah so uh really interesting so my yeah. my second one uh was uh Similar in some ways to what your what your second was, and that is uh, the whole Edward Snowden, uh, <laughs> yeah, just debacle. Yeah, uh, for me, this was probably in terms of news stories. Obviously, this was probably the biggest news story of 2013. Yeah, but I think the why it fits with what we talk about on this show is really similar to what you just brought up on the Boston Marathon, and that is that this story really broke, you know, it really broke over Twitter and over these, uh, uh, you know, new news sources. The, uh, the first article was posted in the London times. Um, but it just, the, the way that it took off and the reactions and that it produced, I thought it was just a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the meanings of it, I mean, you know, love him or hate him or be undecided or whatever it is a uh you know a pivotal change in a sense um a, a reality of the internet world that that exists that you can leak you know millions of of uh pieces of information at the you know at the flick of a switch essentially yeah. at the drop of a hat it's not a uh, you know, it's not a, a physical problem like it used to be to, uh, drag, you know, millions of documents out in boxes and get a truck and drive them wherever and, you know, get the information out. It's, it's a very, very different world. And so, uh, in one way you can think of it as, well, this is the way that, you know, this is the world that we live in. Now it's now whether or not you leak is just a decision in your head. It's not a, well, you know, I have to get a truck and, you know, physically move a bunch of documents and make them all visible or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's a very different world. It is. And I, it makes you think about, you know, the, the U.S. government in particular uses all of these government subcontractors to do a bunch of their work. Yeah. And of which he worked for one. And so it really... I mean, what do you do if you're one of those companies? How in the world do you ever protect, you know, the information that you've been given that's this classified kind of top secret stuff? Just I don't it's getting to be where I don't know how you rationally protect it because there's no there's nothing. You know, I was having this conversation the other day with somebody that there's. Even if you say, okay, well, you can't copy files off your machine. Okay, well, I can take screenshots and I can do, you know, I can take pictures of my screen with my phone and I can, like, there's just so many ways to get information out. 
mm. which is both scary if you think about that from just a, an intelligence perspective, uh, you know, just from the sovereignty of the U.S. and all of those or any other country that has that's going to deal with this because we won't be the only one. Mm. Um, so the you have these issues of just kind of even if what he had disclosed. So let's let's say that he had just been a spy, which some people say he is. I don't share that belief, but let's say he just been a spy and. and use this to go sell secrets to the Chinese or the Russians or something like that. Sure. I mean, just the volume of information that he had yeah. is staggering. Yeah, and, it is. And, and you know, so, so here's the thing. Like, if, if you're a government and you have outsourced a whole bunch of things, you're outsourcing it because it's a good deal for you as a government. Um, it's also a good deal for the companies that are being outsourced to. Now, the reason they're doing it, you know, obviously it's cheaper the, the, for the government to be doing this or else they probably wouldn't. Um, but the price of that cheaper is uh, uh, maybe let's just call it a different set of uh, uh, rules or a different level of bar that yeah. the person – actually handling the information has to cross so that so so you know if if you have gone the gone the route to use a, a contractor like that because they're cheaper you have to understand why they're cheaper and what you give away for doing that yeah um well you and, know. and here's the reality is that how many people are there in that role who could have done what he did and made enough plans to get out of the country into countries where he would be, you know, where he could move around. Uh, he was, I would say, probably above average intelligence. And the fact that he's been able to evade, you know, capture by the U.S. government demonstrates that he thought for a long time about how to do this. Yeah. And he was extremely smart in making plans. Like, nobody had any idea. Yeah. And you know that, you know, if you're working for the government, you know that they've got they're paying attention to your bank accounts. They're paying attention to everything that they think they can monitor yeah. to make sure this stuff doesn't happen. And he was able to get around all of that. And yeah. you know, whether or not you agree, to your point earlier, whether or not you agree with what he did, and I have, I, I kind of come down on both sides of it. I think it was beneficial that we found out that stuff was happening. I think it's probably not beneficial the way in which it was done. The question mm -hmm. becomes, how do you find out about it if it isn't something like this? Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just a, it's a really difficult issue, but it's not the last time we're going to see this stuff either. For sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. What's your number three? All right. Number three. So this one is a, is a grouping um, and the grouping is space and it comes from these points. Uh, SpaceX's Dragon capsule that docked with International Space Station uh, which, which, you know, private space, uh, company docks a capsule from, uh, you know, it just sends a, some, something up from the earth, gets it into orbit and docks it with the International Space Station and then returns it, uh, back to, back to the earth. I mean, that is an amazing, amazing thing. I think in a way, this is the private space industry you know, becoming mainstream in a sense. Um, other points in that, uh, the Wallops Island launches, uh, Wallops Island, uh, is 
not too far from D.C., and uh, so obviously it's on the eastern seaboard of the United States, and it's it's up a bit. Um, when they launched the uh, mission to study the uh, the atmosphere around the moon, uh, which incidentally was done by one of my teachers at uh, a class at MIT that I was taking, satellite engineering, 16851 at MIT. Um, the, that launch, when that happened, I stood at the Charles River and I watched it take off from Wallops Island. You could see the, the arc of the spacecraft go up and, you know, you could see stages as they uh, fired off and stuff. It was pretty amazing. So I thought Wallops Island, there's been a bunch of launches from there, uh, but now it's very publicly you know, this is this is a spaceport where we're you know doing a lot of unmanned uh, uh, work from there. Uh, I think that's that's a big thing. And then the the last thing on the general space under the general space umbrella is the meteorite over uh, Chelyabinsk in Russia, where uh, we had what is it about a probably like it's very small, like a ten meter ass, uh, meteorite came screaming into the atmosphere, uh, lit up the night sky to literally look like daylight or brighter, um, caught by who knows how many dash cams on uh, cars in Russia because everybody drives around with a dash cam, yeah. um, which is, which is which hilarious. Is, that's right. And, and makes for some fantastic YouTube fodder. Um, that thing went, uh, and of course it exploded in, in the air because of the pressure and the heat and all and ended up blowing out a whole bunch of windows and hurting a lot of people because of falling glass and, and stuff like that, um, but didn't reach the ground. Um, highlights the fact that there are many, many millions of objects in the uh, universe that are on a collision course with the Earth. Uh, and certainly that are within Earth's orbital uh, plane and, and uh, within Earth's orbit uh, that could pose some pretty serious risk, albeit, you know, many, probably hundreds of thousands of years, uh, you know, on the on average, uh, could pose some very, very disastrous uh, risk to the to the Earth. Um I actually have been talking with a couple of people that are are working on uh, finding these near-Earth asteroids and, um, you know, trying to track them and get a a good read on their orbits and uh, try to predict when they might intersect and all of that kind of thing. It's kind of a needle in a haystack, really, but uh, it is an interesting problem. Um, So I, I, I think, you know, under the general space umbrella, I think given the uh uh the the SpaceX thing and uh everything happening at Wallops Island and and uh meteorites flying through the air i really think that space has been you know a bit more in the news than than it's been in the past few years and i think it's uh you know i'm very excited by it obviously yeah, um that's really interesting i don't uh you track this stuff a lot more closely than i do but the it strikes me that we're and we did a show on this a few few shows ago with uh, with our good friend uh, Horace Deju, yeah, and talked about kind of where space is going, and 
what what all of this stuff means. And it's I think we're headed into if we can if we can uh, somehow manage to keep the uh, the economy from cratering. I think we're heading into a really interesting next five or ten years for space exploration, where it really uh, where the face of it really changes again and moves away from this government-sponsored and funded kind of stuff, uh, maybe to more private sector, or maybe these private sector initiatives are just you know the pointy tip of the sword, and you know, and and countries get back involved again because it gets interesting again. There's new things to figure well, out. It's, it's hard to say. Yeah, it is hard to say. I th- I think uh, SpaceX would not be maybe not even be here if it weren't for the United States uh, giving it some, you know, the government giving it some very, very healthy contracts. And I don't yeah. think that happened until they had a successful orbital launch, and that almost bankrupted the company. So I think, you know, if if it were purely a private thing, I don't think SpaceX would have docked with the International Space Station anytime Agreed. soon. <laughs> that Agreed. was, you know, so it's, so it's a partnership really yeah. at this point. It's a, uh, it kind of goes both ways, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So what, what do you have for number three? So my third was, uh, was the emergence of wearable tech yes. and kind of, uh, not just wearable, but just kind of tech everywhere, uh, uh-huh. with the, the advent of the whole, Machine-to-machine communication, and you know, Google Glass really kind of went mainstream this pa- this past year. If you can describe it as mainstream, whoa, whoa, yeah, I don't, I don't describe that as mainstream. Well, stream, it, but yeah, I guess what I mean by mainstream is that you're able to go get it off the shelf. Not that millions of people are wearing them. Uh, I think what what's interesting about uh, Google Glass is that it's although a, uh, a decidedly horrid implementation. If you ever see anybody actually wearing them. You, know, you just want to rip it off their face and punch them. Um, <laughs> not to put too I, fine a point on it. No, no, not okay, at all. Got but, it. but I think it's, it's, this is how technology evolves, is that you, have, you always have this kind of leading-edge project that nobody can ever imagine using um, that eventually evolve into the yeah. things that you can't imagine going without. Yeah, right. Not, not much unlike uh, the phone. Uh, uh, specifically the smartphone. Nobody thought you needed a computer in your pocket, but I think the other the other major category this year of kind of wearable tech was uh, the uh, the replacement of the watch. Yeah, you had a number of uh, people take a run at the re- at replacing the watch. I myself bought the Pebble, and uh, which turned out to be just not very pleasant of an experience. <laughs> yeah, uh, you had the Samsung. Uh, the Samsung guys take a run at it. That, by all accounts, is, was a really bad attempt. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think you have this, we're in this period where you're redefining, just like we redefined what a phone was, uh, you know, seven or so years ago. Yeah. Uh, we're starting to redefine what a watch is. Yeah. And a watch is, you kind of, you'll have the purists who wear a watch just because they want to wear a watch, and it's kind of a fashion thing. Yeah, uh, and then you'll have a watch won't really be a watch, just like a phone really isn't a phone. Yeah, I think uh, you know it's it's very much like uh, if if I wear a watch, it's not to tell the time; it's just to wear a watch. Right. The same reason I wear glasses. Yeah. I wear glasses because I like to wear glasses. I, I could have contacts. I could get LASIK. Whatever it doesn't. I actually don't even need glasses except for driving and flying. So. Uh, 
and it's creating these interesting little vestigial tales here um, where, you know, I actually have a watch that looks nice that I go out, you know, if I go out to dinner with my wife or whatever, I'm going to wear the watch. And yeah. you know, I'm never going to look at it to figure out what time it is. Um, so, uh, but yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, there are a lot of other wearables like the Fitbit and stuff like that. I think given uh, the more recent phones that have really low power accelerometer uh, capabilities, I think that it's less and less, um, there's less and less of a niche there for those types of things. Uh, I think there's the that up band and there's, uh, I think that's, uh, Nike has something and, you know, the Jawbone guys have something and there's a bunch of them. But uh, I, I, I see it really narrowing to three things. One would be the phone. Another would be the watch, because I think there you're right. There will be an emer- reemergence there. Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped wearing a watch when I or wearing a watch for time when I got a phone. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is, uh, which, you know, the only other area that you would wear something that, uh, I think might make sense is in electronic clothing or, yeah, or, I think, I think, uh, like integrated textiles, the, exactly. that's going to be the really interesting place for the next yeah. few years is, you know, I'm wearing a shirt that is keeping track of my heartbeat and keeping yeah. track of yeah. you know my whatever my blood pressure who knows all yeah. the things that it's going to be able to do things that <laughs> that you can't do with a phone you can't do with a watch maybe That's right. you can do some things or it's done better with a with a garment or yeah. a, or something like that. I think there that's interesting. Yeah. And if you think about the impact of that on uh things like sports where I might be able to tell how hurt somebody is just by the clothing they're wearing. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, having to pull them into a room, take an x-ray, you know, I, and I know you did some work on uh, concussion related stuff in helmets and yeah. like just the, that to me is just where it gets really interesting yeah. to think about, you know, stuff that these sensors just right on your body, yeah. giving you real time feedback about, about what's going on. And, you know, hopefully giving you a heads up when something bad's about to happen because, you know, it senses that the, that the environment's right for a heart attack or, yeah. you know, you're running up to some major, major event that you need to be paying attention to or whatever that looks like. Sure. I just think that one of the, one of the things that uh, I've been doing a lot of reading on here is the NC State, North Carolina State University has this amazing textiles program. Hmm. And one of the things that they turn out graduates doing all sorts of really cool things in textiles. And I was reading this this weekend, and this is a very minor thing, but uh, doing digital printing of genes instead of mm. doing all the washing and all this other stuff that's been done for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just think uh, universities like that, where you've got this advanced thinking around textiles is where, uh, is where a lot of this stuff is going to come from because it has to be not only, you have to have the technology in there, but at some point it's going to have to be functional and fashionable and all those other things or people won't wear them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so you've got, you know, you've got companies like Under Armour, I think is a really interesting one to pay attention to because they've got this, uh, this kind of cachet around wearing stuff that 
looks good and fits tight to your body. I could see that that kind of company coming out with stuff that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. That and and uh, you know some kind of startup or or yep. you know some kind of company we haven't really seen on the on the radar yet. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, is probably going to. But I think it could be potentially very disruptive in the uh, uh, you know textiles industry. Although it, that's an interesting industry because. They've always thrived on on innovating your way out of some kind of a problem because there were, you couldn't patent the way a, a garment is designed. You have to uh, you couldn't get a copyright on that or, or anything. So anybody could copy anybody. So it was had nothing to do with whether or not you could make a, a shirt with a lapel that looked a certain way. It was nothing to do with that at all. And that's why you have like. Uh, you know, Dolce and Gabbana glasses, the the D and G, you know, are embedded in the style of the glass because you cannot, you you can copyright the name of the company. That's right. So you that's cannot right. copy that. Yep. So, uh, and that's why you always see all the, you know, like Prada will be on the purse and, you know, all of these kinds of things are, are incorporated in the name because that's the one thing that they have that you can't copy. Um, I think that industry is actually pretty vibrant and vital despite not having any copyright protection, which is pretty, um, you know, it's interesting because it tells you that an industry can thrive without uh, uh, IP protection. Yeah, um, and what, but what it does force is it forces just the constant uh, change in fashion. So yeah. that's how they that's how they stay ahead is that they're constantly redefining what's fashionable. Yeah. Uh, so that you're always you know having to keep up and buy the next buy the next thing that looks like you know doesn't look like what you wore last year, and so that's how they sort of keep. Uh, keep you interested. Yeah, but I mean, look at the uh, look at the iPhone and and the That's true. Samsung, you know, S three, S four, whatever. They're they're playing the same game. It's yep. still a a fashion item that they've got. Um, yeah, that's really true. Yeah, it's a, it's a statement about something. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, about, status statement of some right sort. status or something like that. Yeah. All right. So before we wrap up, yeah, uh, you need to do. You need to give me one. A uh, bold prediction for 2014. <laughs> I am terrible with predictions because I'm as am I'm, I. I'm I'm always wrong, and it's always going to be coming out of left field, you know. So I, I always feel like my predictions are basically the things I've noticed in 2013 uh, that have exploded. So so uh, you know. The other thing about so of course I'm going to have something to do with Bitcoin. Of course, of course. Um, but I think uh, you know we've seen a hint of it this year with a few companies, Circle getting a nine million dollar investment, and and Coinbase the twenty five million. Um, I think you're going to have juggernauts coming into the like. I, I think you're going to get legitimacy of that uh, the the Bitcoin ecosystem to the tune of. You know, a major Wall Street firm, um, uh, not just putting out a paper about how it might be interesting, but rather, you know, opening up an exchange or getting behind in some major way, in a very surprising way. Um, the, I, I think Bitcoin will take off. Um, you know, essentially have Wall Street uh, uh, acceptance 
That's okay. a that's a crazy thing to say, I think, at this point, but we'll see. Yeah, that's big. What do you got? Mine is so mine is uh is based on kind of the the Snowden thing. I think we're going to see there's a lot of buzz around uh renewed interest and buzz around privacy and security and uh how do you protect yourself online? Certainly with the target uh hack over the over the last month or however yeah. long however long ago that was the thanks right around Thanksgiving, uh, just the uh, the increasing vulnerability that consumers have, I believe that I think in 2014 we're going to see some new standard emerge for privacy and security as more widely accepted. Hmm. And I don't know what that I don't know what shape that takes yet, but I think there's going to be somebody's going to step forward with a radical new idea mm-hmm. about how to do it. Um, about how to handle your stuff online that's going to make uh, that's going to make a difference. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I the thing that comes to mind. Two things come to mind. One is uh, uh, I, I'm yapping on and on about Bitcoin because I think it's a, uh, a, a technological leap forward for the peer-to-peer internet. There's nothing yep. to do with currency. There's nothing to do with money, and it has everything to do with uh, a a large consensus of nodes on a peer network coming to the same conclusion by you know by doing proof of by using proof of work algorithm um, so I think there may be an interesting fix to that to the uh, uh, security problem uh, with the concepts of bitcoin as the the um, at the core. Um, there, a lot of people say there there is a lot of there there with Bitcoin. It's not a it's not a like a flash in the pan. Um, hey, this you know this is a nice little fad that'll disappear, kind of like Antenna Gate did with the iPhone four. Yeah, like, you know, as soon as that ended, that <laughs> disappeared, and the next version of the iPhone came out exactly the same antenna design, etc. I think Bitcoin though is very different, and I think you could see as something that addresses security. Um, uh, coming out of that, um, yeah, yeah I, just, I, I think that the I think you're right. I think that's a natural place to start looking. I just think that consumers at some point are, and you're already starting to see this with things like Snapchat as kind of a leading indicator of behavior that people are becoming less and less comfortable with things being permanent. Yeah. And so this idea of ephemeral information, I think, is a really interesting thing to watch for 2014. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then protection. If a company like Target can't protect your data, mm-hmm. then who yeah, can? You have, to, you have to take that into your own hands. Right. It's going and, to be up to you. Yeah. And, and so I think the, the, the onus moves back from people trusting these major companies to do it for them. I think the onus moves back to the individual. Yeah. And... Uh, and and then that will force companies to adopt different standards. No, I at, think at you're right. Point. I mean, you know, when when people uh, are, you're, what you're essentially talking about here is, you you can no longer trust the center, so you can no longer trust the cloud. Right. So instead of trusting the cloud to keep your stuff secure, you secure it, and then put the encrypted version, the secured version, into the cloud. And so you still can leverage. That's the, right. It's it's available anywhere, but you personally control the, the the bits. You can unlock them, and you and you alone. Now, 
there was that a has project. Its own set of problems, of course. But no, it does. Losing keys and then you know yeah. all of that. But you know, on the other hand, uh, there was a project years ago um, that uh, was attempting to do OE, opportunistic encryption, and it, it had to do with um, some really interesting aspects of IPv6 that were backported to IPv4, uh, and essentially what it was was a standard way to set up a uh, a node on the internet that could just opportunistically decide to encrypt traffic between whatever peers it's talking to. So mm -hmm. it had a way of firing off a, a test to say, hey, do you support opportunistic encryption? And the other side would say, yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. And then they would negotiate, and then all communication, regardless of type or whatever, it would all be yeah. encrypted by default. And I think that's something like that is what we're going to see, where yeah. you, you start to, you have these new standards and you say, you know, I can support this. Uh, do you support it? And maybe you start to, companies start to lose business because they can't support uh, these new protocols, whatever they, whatever they end up being. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, you know, unfortunately, the whole OE thing fell flat because uh, not enough. There were not nearly enough peers to make it uh, to make it viable. But yeah. I could see something coming along. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, it, it really doesn't matter anymore. I don't think what happens on the desktop because they're largely essentially disconnected from the internet because of NAT. What really is going to matter are our phones. Yeah. If, if you can get uh, opportunistically encrypted links between phones, now you're talking about secured voice, text, email, like all these things. That's a, that's a whole different world. And all of these capabilities are already in uh, Android because they are part of Linux. It's just a question of, you know, essentially agreeing to turn them on broadly. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll see how that goes, but it, well, it, that and is very I think compelling. your point about Bitcoin is a great one because that protocol is so extensible, uh, and yeah. so to be able to, and I think what's, what's great about Bitcoin becoming mainstream is that you now have all of what we're going to see is everybody trying to break in, trying to steal, and it's going to, you know, further strengthen whatever's going on there. And then that makes it that much more viable for solving this problem. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm hmm. All right. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, great show. So we will be back in two weeks. Uh, it will be the uh, Brave New World of 2014. And uh, we will see you guys then. Absolutely. Have a happy new year.